From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. This is part two of the Airport Emergencies feature. Uh, in this week's uh, feature or episode, we'll hear about the lessons learned of the plane crash on the 405 freeway through a discussion led by Safety Officer Captain Daryl Milliot, and he's joined by Battalion 5 Rick Schultz, as well as the Incident Commander Battalion 9 Chief Tony Espinosa and Fire Station 33 personnel Captain Bill Valdez, Engineer Jose Franco, and uh, Firefighter Chris DiMatteis. We'll also, we also talked with uh, John Mefford, as you'll recall. He's the off-duty Avalon firefighter who actually fire captain uh, who rendered aid to the victims within minutes of the crash. Thinking to myself like, there can't be anybody alive in that plane. And uh, then all of a sudden a head pops up and uh, turns out to be the wife of the pilot. And, uh, and I just thought like, if she can be there, I can get there and be there. All right, so that's coming up uh, shortly. Uh, for now, let's uh, focus on some news and noteworthy items here at the Fire Authority. Yesterday, the 50 recruits of Fire Academy 45 started their 16 week academy. So we want to wish them all the best and can't wait to officially welcome them into the new fire family at their graduation, which is going to be on Wednesday, December 20th. Uh, as you know, we deployed our task force, uh, task, California Task Force 5, um, out to help the folks in Texas. And uh, they're just finishing up their work in Houston after they're deployed uh, for the Hurricane Harvey deployment um, a little over a week ago, actually coming close to two weeks in deployment. And they're expected to come back to the OCFA this Thursday, September 7th in the afternoon, so we'll be sure to give them a proper welcome. And um, during their time, they, they just did such an outstanding job, played a vital role in thousands of rescues, and we couldn't be prouder of the work that they did over there. So thank you guys from California Task Force 5, and uh, for the rest of the Fire Authority, make sure to reach out and uh, just demonstrate your, your thanks to them and show your appreciation for representing our agency, um, our state, and ultimately the federal government in a way that uh, is most advantageous to the citizens there who are in harm's way. Uh, so we couldn't be more proud of them. So thank you guys. Uh, also, um, on a, a little bit more difficult note, on the morning of Saturday, September 2nd, while on an out-of-county assignment, Strike Team Leader Battalion Chief uh, Ken Harrison and uh, tra his trainee, Battalion Chief Matt Levesque, were involved in the traffic collision, as most of you know, out there in Yuba County. And uh, both survived, thank God, but uh, they both had a variety of injuries. Uh, Matt had a concussion and some soft tissue injuries while Ken had some more serious injuries and he sustained several neck fractures and complications uh, from those. Uh, specifically, he had three fractured uh, cervical vertebral bodies, um, but he's expected to recover. It's just going to be a long haul for him. So the fire authority is going to have an opportunity to come alongside of him uh, as well as the fire family over the next six to 12 months to assist he and his family um, with getting him back to par. Uh, while neither has any time uh, needs at this time, I, I think it's important to say uh, that there will be needs in the future and there'll be plenty of opportunities. So uh, look for those. We'll put those out via the, uh, the liaisons for each of the families and uh, additional emails and texts from each of you would be uh, advising and sharing your well wishes would be appreciated. All right, without further ado, here's the lessons learned on the plane crash on the 405 freeway. So for this segment, we're going to talk about the incident that happened on June 30 with the small uh, private Class 1 aircraft that landed on the 405 back on June 30th. Uh, 
around 9, 9.30 in the morning. So we still have Battalion Chief Rick Schultz with us and Fire Captain Bill Valdez. We also have joining us people that were on the incident. We have Firefighter Chris DiMatteis, Engineer Jose Franco, and the incident commander for that incident, uh, Tony Espinosa, Battalion Chief Espinosa. Uh, so before we get started, let's just talk. It sounds like, Demo, you have a pretty good idea of what actually occurred when the aircraft took off. Can you give us a brief how uh, we ended up getting to the crash in the first place? No, well, I, I was in quarters and uh, I heard the crash phone ring and, you know, I immediately just started listening to what was going on. And I could tell there was something, something weird with the way they were uh, giving us the report. They said it was category one, it was declaring an emergency landing that lost an engine. So I just, I ran outside to the apron just to kind of get a vector of how far <coughs> out they were. And within seconds I saw the plane just go crash right into the freeway. I knew, I pretty much knew where it was, uh, where they had crashed. So I got, my engineer came out, we hopped in the rig and we just, we just went, we just uh, went out the north gate and uh, that was it. When we got there, we, you know, I, the whole time I was driving there and seeing the header and all that stuff, I just thought there was going to be, it was going to be a mass casualty incident is what I imagined that there was going to be, you know, a lot of just carnage. But, um, when I got there, I was really surprised that there were only two, two patients. And to me, they both looked like they had been ejected. Um, they were pretty messed up, but, um, yeah, they surprisingly, uh, they were both alive, which I was uh, shocked to see. And uh, my engineer, he immediately, you know, laid down foam on and uh, did a, you know, quick attack, initial attack on the fire. I uh, tended to the, the patients. That's where I encountered that off-duty uh, Avalon firefighter or fire captain. He said he was a medic. I immediately just threw him... Uh, you know my trauma bag off the rig and and then uh yeah we uh put sea collars on the patients and that was pretty much it my engineer eddie madrano he also good thing he did was he after he got the initial knockdown he got out of the rig and pulled my uh pre-connected line uh and put it between me and the fire in case there was any sort of uh flare up or that sort of thing so that was that was pretty awesome um, yeah we're fortunate in that one of the cars that the airplane hit was an off-duty firefighter. So, <laughs> so you're driving down, he's driving down the freeway, off-duty fire captain from Avalon Fire Department. His car gets hit, he pulls over, and by the time he got around, uh, the wife was already outside of the plane, but needed extrication because the pilot was stuck in there. So the cap team is interviewing him for, uh, for a possible life-saving civilian award our civilian life-saving certificate. And uh, we have some audio from the interview. And I think we could probably play that now. Looking in my rear view mirror, I could see the plane kind of spin across the freeway and then hit the wall and then uh, the big explosion that everybody sees on the, on the YouTube. Um, so, but I was able to stop and then back up and uh, jumped on my car and started running towards the plane and uh, thinking to myself like, there can't be anybody alive in that plane. And uh, then all of a sudden a head pops up and uh, it turns out to be the wife of the pilot. And, uh, and I just thought like, if she can be there, I can get there and be there. So uh, I made my way from the back tail section of the passenger side uh, to her. And then uh, I just kind of grabbed her and assured her that I will get her husband out. And 
because she was trying to get her husband out at the time. So uh, I guided her back behind the plane and came back for uh, the pilot and just kind of bear hugged him and uh, grabbed him out of the plane. So um, dragged him off to a safe area and uh, just started asking him questions, you know, just like we do uh, on a daily basis with patients. That side of it is a complete blur for me because um, I don't remember like feeling like hot or uncomfortable or like, geez, I need to get the hell out of here. Uh, but uh, just kind of a reaction. So again, if it wasn't for the wife, showing her head um i don't think i i don't know how much further i would have gone but uh um she did and and i did what i did so yeah just kind of a um uh, not necessarily thinking of my own safety and uh and just taking the risk and kind of putting it out there and it you know we had a, a good benefit so the crash rig shows up and the firefighter asked me like hey are you on the job and I gave him the, like, yeah, I work in Catalina. And he kind of gave me the, like, what, Catalina? So, uh, uh, like, yeah, I'm a fire captain in Avalon. And uh, so the next thing I see, he opens up his uh, bin where all the medical supplies are and starts throwing stuff over the wall. And uh, thank God we all kind of pack our supplies roughly the same in the same type of bags. And uh, so it was just kind of nice to be able to open that up and then uh, was able to give dressings to some nurses that were caring for the wife at the time. And then uh, came back and started uh, doing a little bit more with uh, the pilot, got his blood pressure. And then uh, by the time first responding units got on scene, then it was uh, kind of nice to be able to give them like a little synopsis of kind of what happened. And, and they weren't uh, thrown from the plane. They were actually pulled away from the plane. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was kind of just kind of flowed. So, and it's nice to see that they're actually doing really well. And the pilot just got home today and uh, you know, it's, they're, Everyone's just kind of blessed. It's really amazing to me uh, after only seeing some of the uh, YouTube videos, uh, how many people truly stopped to just either give care or aid or wanting to do something. So, um, you know, it showed a little humanity out there of uh, other people. Okay, so you were first on scene, right, on Crash 4? Mm -hmm. And who was your partner that day? Eddie Medrano. Oh, Eddie was with you? He was okay. the engineer. What a, the fire conditions looked like when you first got there. You went out the north gates, you yeah. took the most direct route, it was right mm -hmm. there on the freeway, kind mm -hmm. of on the airport side of the freeway, southbound 405. Yeah. And uh, what were the fire conditions like when you got there? I'd say heavy smoke and fire. Yeah, okay. All right, and then you guys laid down uh, foam or? Yeah, he just went immediately to foam. It was interesting because, you know, you had the two patients there and for a split second, I'm like, well, do I, you know, go to the fire or do I go to the patients? And right when I was making that decision, Eddie just opened up on that, you know, that roof turret and I'm like, okay, there's the decision. There's, you know, that's better, better than I'm gonna do. So I just attended to the patients and I think I, you know, got on four alpha and said, hey, you know, have anyone else who's coming in, have them go north on the 405 because it's shut down and that's gonna be the only way to get here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, three or four minutes we were there and then eventually there was some fire engines that came and uh, they kind of took over the patient care mm -hmm. and we, we got we were back on the airport and within probably 15 20 minutes after that okay yeah. so your total on scene time was like about 20 minutes then. yeah it, okay. it wasn't long we weren't there long how long did you have to flow foam before you got knocked down um it wasn't long at all I mean I'm gonna say you know, probably a minute at the most. I don't know. Um, yeah, Eddie was, that was, he was engaged in that and I was kind of just 
between the radio and and uh, the patients, I was kind of just busy with that and just making sure that we were kind of in a safe area <coughs> and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it, this uh, is a good point to, too to discuss, yeah. uh, particularly for the um, those outside the aircraft world of uh, thinking about the how the fire works, right? Um, this particular aircraft, uh, it, it, it is a Category 2, not a Category 1, as, oh. the, as they originally said, and that's because it's a twin engine. But right. it still uses avgas, which is a, a flammable, not a combustible uh, uh, fuel. Everything out here in these big tanks that go over to the jets is a combustible fuel. There's a much different ignition temperature between the two, although they'll readily burn each one of them, obviously, but there is a difference between the fuel, and as firefighters, we need to keep that in mind of, okay, what is it that I have? and, and uh, what am I looking at as far as what the potential fire problem may be. A 757 carries 11,000 gallons of fuel. That's a pretty big problem if, when it goes down. This little twin engine plane, 150 gallons of fuel. And we've already seen a big fireball, so a lot of it we know is already out and has already burned or is burning and uh, spread amongst whatever uh, footprint it, it leaves out there. So can a structure engine put that fire out? Of course, we see that all the time, right? Car fires on the freeway that happen that we, that we put out. So what does the foam bring you? The foam brings you that it's not gonna reignite because until that fuel cools down below its ignition temperature, you still have the opportunity to find an ignition source and have it re-come up. So I've had that discussion and have had people ask me since this incident of, well, what if that happened in Liso Viejo? How fast could we get the foam tender? How fast could we get this here? Doesn't matter. Use your water. Use what you have on your engine to initially knock down the engine to make any kind of rescue that need to make, and then just back off, establish your perimeter until you can get those additional resources. This being a gasoline type uh, fuel also is going to evaporate very quickly. And in fact, when I got there almost two hours later, first thing I did was ask the hazmat guys, hey, what's our flammability range? What's our VOCs? Zero, zero. What was it 15 minutes ago? Zero, zero. What was it 15 minutes before? Zero, zero. All right, I'm pretty confident we don't have much fuel left on the ground at this point. So those are the kind of things as the incident commander and even the firefighters that are responding, whether it's here at the airport or, or in Aliso Viejo, when you're, you're operating, think about the quantity, think about the fuel type, think about uh, what it is that I need to do to get the initial fire out and then to keep it out after that as far as resources that I'm calling for. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had the advantage of having a crash crew here that could put that foam out there right away, but if it happened down in Aliso Viejo you, or someplace else that you didn't have that initially, we still have the tools available to us on every engine that's out there to, mm -hmm. to, to be able to put the fire out mm -hmm. and do what we need to do. So it's a point that I, I think needs to be made amongst everybody who's listening right now. Yo, oh, it's a totally valid point. And uh, I ended up being on scene of the incident and <coughs> noticed when you looked at the foam blanket and when there was patches of no foam and you could see through, there wasn't that swirl, that rainbow you get with the right. water fuel mixture. It was just water. It would really, at the spots that I saw, zero fuel right. there. Because it had already, had already burned or evaporated right. uh, very quickly. And right. that's what it's gonna do. Now, the bigger concern will be, well, how much do I still have left in the tanks? Or how much do I have in the fuel lines? And that became an issue later on that uh, once they moved the wreckage to get it off the freeway, we knew we were gonna have a certain amount spill out of the fuel lines, which it, it was, it was about 10, 20 gallons and ended up, uh, or maybe a little less than that, ended up spilling. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about it in the sequence or whatever, but. Uh, 
the crew that was disassembling the aircraft lit it on fire three more times uh, throughout the afternoon, uh, just trying to disassemble. So there was enough fuel in it to do that. We've got to be cognitive of that fact uh, as uh, rescuers when, when we're uh, involved in these types of incidences. Mm -hmm. So Chris, when you got on scene, uh, everybody had been extricated from the airplane. Did you at that point see the Avalon off-duty fire captain? Yeah, he, he immediately approached me. He said, hey, I'm off-duty, I'm the Avalon captain, I'm a paramedic. Can I do anything to help? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Here's the trauma bag. You got this patient. I'll take this patient. And um, yeah, that's how that went. And they both appeared to have critical injuries they both, to you they, upon first. Yeah, they both out. appeared to be, you know, critical trauma patients to me. And mm -hmm. uh, Just first impression. Yeah, and okay. I, was, I was concerned about the wife the most. Okay. So then uh, you were first on scene, and then the next crash unit was Crash 1 or Crash, crash one? 5? Okay, so that was you, Captain Valdez. What did you see upon arrival? At what stage of the game were, did you see the foam coming? Was it the foam being applied upon your well, arrival? Well, initially I took the crash foam mm -hmm. when that came in. I, I picked that up, and uh, you could tell from the towers, you know, the way they were talking, there was something going on. Mm -hmm. Initially I was thinking it was a standby for a Category 1 is how he made it sound. And then there was a hesitation, and you knew there was something more. And then he said, the aircraft is down, the aircraft's down off-field. Uh, he said it possibly could have been in the parking lot across the way, or it could be on the freeway. He wasn't quite sure, but it was in line with uh, 20 right, which is the main runway. Okay. So that was the response. And then from there, um, my initial thought was for Crash 1 to, to go on out there and see what I could, you know, so let, let's see what we have out here so I can give a size up on it. And what gate did you go out? I went out the uh, Polarino gate, okay. went up Red Hill north, got up to the, uh, the bridge there, mm -hmm. uh, crossed over the 405, had a good vantage point there, gave an initial size up of what I saw. Uh, we did, I did witness a crash board coming on scene at that time and starting to apply foam. Okay. So gave a, a quick little size up and, uh, and from there we worked <coughs> our way to the, uh, to the scene itself. Did you order any additional resources or just keep the initial dispatch? I keep coming? the initial. Okay. Yeah, I just kept the initial coming in. All right. And I saw that Crash 4 had a, a pretty good knockdown on what, whatever fire there was there. Okay. So now it's getting out there, see what other, you know, what else do we have going on here? Right. Are there vehicles involved? Are there other patients involved? Is this kind of a, you know, mass casualty type? incident that we have here. So. Yeah, the 405 at 9.30 in the morning, you expected it was, I to see I totally expected to see a lot happening yeah. there. You know, and again, that gets into our criteria for this, uh, for going off field. Uh -huh. You know, and it's can our, our ARF units make a difference out there? Yeah. Uh, would our expertise be needed out there for this type of incident? Mm -hmm. A quick knockdown like this, we're talking survivability of, yeah. of additional folks that could be on that freeway. Right. So along with that, you know, excellent, excellent job of getting, working your way out quick knockdown on what the fire was there. Yeah. And then a relatively quick turnaround too. Right, and then let's the get back on this airfield because we have an index to maintain. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that are happening during this. Our SOP is that three miles off of either the approach or uh, departure engine in the airport is still considered kind of within the boundaries of what the RF crew can do. Two miles laterally for a category three aircraft, big, mm -hmm. big jet coming. It's one mile all the way around the whole airport for a Category 1 or a Category 2, which obviously this was still within that one mile. <coughs> the, the trick to it always is just to make sure that the communication has been done that if 
the ARF units are leaving the field, we have shut the field down for that commercial traffic and that we get them back on as quickly as possible. So all around, as the incident commander, your, your objective should be, they got the knockdown, we made the rescue, get them back to the airfield. So even if it's that three miles or uh, two mile laterally, wherever it may be, uh, don't, um, don't have them stick around uh, beyond what, what is necessary. So, uh, and there's been controversy that's gone back and forth about, well, uh, should they just automatically, it's in our SOP, on a category three at least, you automatically go out and, the, uh -huh. and there should be that communication. On a category one or two, it's the captain's discretion as to whether he wants to keep things going or, or move them out, but he also has the ability to uh, tell the tower, close the field. Mm -hmm. That's within his authority to do so, uh, to make that happen. So uh, that eventually got, uh, in this instance, uh, got communicated and, it, and it, it went that way, but it was absolutely appropriate to put the crash units and all the resources oh, they yeah. have to be out there to, to, to put that kind of fire yeah. out. So we, we got lucky in that um, it did happen as close as it did, uh, and it's within our SOP to actually make that happen. And how about you, Jose? You were on Crash 5 that day on the 30th, and uh, what were you second, third on? And what did you, you see? What did you do? I, I don't know because I was focused on not hitting anything. Okay. It's as big as a house, and so there were other units on board already there. Uh, I just concentrated on not hitting anything and positioning my rig on the other side of the aircraft from Crash 4 so that I could hit the other side. And the engineers have already discussed if a plane goes off the end, it's going to shut down the freeways mm -hmm. so that we would go against traffic, which uh, that's what I thought I would do, uh -huh. and it worked out fine. Okay. So did you come up the southbound I, 405 going north? Yes. Okay. Because the freeway's already shut down. No it cars was are going away. absolutely stopped. That was the only way you could use the 405 yes. at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what kind of conditions did you see or any particular? It was knocked down pretty good. There yeah. was just a little bit of flames on the other side of the plane that Crash 4 couldn't get to, so I hit it a couple times and then I was told to get back on <coughs> to the airport. I went back. So it sounds like both of the crash units got, or the heavier crash units got back relatively quickly. So the shutdown period for the airport, so you said the airport was shut down for a little bit. What Just kind of a little bit. Uh, like the chief said, there were, there were some diversions. Uh -huh. There were only 10 diversions, but they went to other airfields and refueled, came back. So everybody you know, did come back to the airfield. Okay. So there were a few delays, but other than that, uh, yeah, by well. about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much everything was back on schedule. All the passengers had been uh, delivered, and really the big impact to the airport was just the traffic in getting people to the airport. So mm -hmm. you can't make the plane if you can't get there. Right. And so uh, that was uh, pretty much the airport <coughs> concern is how do we get people in here? And that was really a matter of, of uh, rerouting. The 405 was shut down eight miles or more in either right. direction, but the surface streets were per still pretty good. Okay. When, I, when I came in, uh, you could get around on the surface streets really well. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a, the lesson learned there too, is uh, get it out to the public what other ways they can get to catch their flight. But mm -hmm. by mid-afternoon, we're pretty much back at business as usual. So then the crash units were on scene, and then it sounds like, if I remember correctly, 36s and 74s got here right around the same time. <coughs> a lot of units started to show up. We had a lot of units showing up uh, almost simultaneous mm -hmm, at that right. time. Uh, when I got on scene, I went ahead and established freeway IC, gave a quick size up, 
Shortly after that, uh, Battalion 9 showed up, our Chief uh, Espinoza, mm -hmm. and he took over that uh, IC position from there. I think people are kind of surprised that Battalion 9 would be here before Battalion 5, just because but it's in the battalion. And Battalion he was 5 was out of place. Mm -hmm. He was up at headquarters. Mm -hmm. So, and then Battalion 5 wasn't in position uh, at the time of the call, but Battalion 9 can get here <coughs> relatively quickly. I but think that people call, don't yeah, realize that. So, uh, having said that, Chief Espinosa, you were the first battalion chief on scene. You took over command from Captain Valdez, right? And how did that go for the transition? Correct. Um, I'd be lying to you if it wasn't, you know, if I told you it wasn't challenging from the get-go. Because originally came in as Maine and MacArthur, which is residential, commercial, high-rise. So my gearing kind of like went towards that. And, and then when I left the station, I saw the, uh, you know, the header. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, hey, this is a real deal. You know, I mean, we get these all the time. Yeah. And I'm conditioned to go to Palerino and just wait and do my routine and get released and come back. And during the whole time, I'm, re you know, I'm, I'm a little confused because I thought Battalion 5 was responding. And like I said, you know, I was I'm more conditioned to go into the Palerino side with an on-site airport incident. So I'm looking at the header and I, and I look at my routing and I said, no, it's not Maine and MacArthur because ECC is starting to announce freeway conditions. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was another call and I'm like, no, that sounds like this incident. So I thought, I looked at my routing and it was taking me to the parking lot, which I think where the initial address came in. And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna go to the parking lot and I'll look like, you know, I'll look foolish. I'm like, I need to establish a better route. So I jumped on the 55 and then I came around and that's when I encountered the aircraft. But it was a little challenging and, and, and for me personally, what helped me kind of bring it down because I knew I was going into something. I didn't quite know what it was initially. Um, I had to go just back to basics, mm -hmm. you know, because ECC was talking about a closed, you know, is it the northbound, the southbound, um, you know, all these different. And so I took it back to just fundamentals by saying, okay, did you call CHP? Because obviously we're talking a freeway incident. So I asked them, um, you know, if they contacted CHP and they said yes. Then they asked me if I was monitoring uh, for Alpha. And I said, no, should I? And, I, and you know, she says they're, they're um, you know, they have radio traffic on for Alpha with a, with a size up. Now, mind it for me, I'm just trying to get there, work my radios, listen to 5 November. I, I think that was 5 mm -hmm, November, the initial correct. response. And so it's a little more challenging for me to, you know, start pushing buttons while I'm driving and trying to see a header and just a lot going on. So um, that's when I realized I was pretty much on scene and I pulled it, you know, I made the turn off the, four, off the 55 to the 405 and there it was. Because I wanted to make sure that I was going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So when I first got on scene, the only person that I was really focused on was Bill, honestly. Mm -hmm. I saw the wreckage. I can see cars beyond that. And to be honest with you, I was really taken back by the, the fact that there wasn't just a number of cars that were burning. Yeah. And then I see this blocked freeway, which is not something we always encounter. So I positioned myself to kind of look at the incident and just get a, a general size up. And I was quite surprised when I saw the crash units. I wasn't used to seeing them on scene. Uh. You know, and of course an aircraft. So uh, immediately I just thought, you know what? The only person I really want to talk to right now is Bill. Mm -hmm. Now where I was really taken back was 
I wasn't expecting the amount of people that were coming up to my vehicle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had people coming up uh, that were just telling me, hey, I was a witness, I saw what was going on. Hey, I'm late for work, are you gonna open up the freeway? <laughs> CHP was like, you know, um, hey, we got the whole shut down, uh, the whole, you know, all lanes shut down, but we need to get these people out. And I'm like, can you hold on? Can you hold on? Can you hold on? I think at one point I asked Bill, I immediately took command and I asked Bill to meet me at the command post. And I almost didn't want to get out of my vehicle because what I wanted to do was position, see what I had, and then kind of reposition to put my, you know, the rear end, you know, the command post looking at the incident. So in that process, it must have took me a good minute just to kind of do a three point, four point turn mm -hmm. because so many people were coming up to the uh, command vehicle. Mm -hmm. I, I could not believe how many people were just coming up and saying, hey, you know what, I was a witness, can I give you my information because I need to go. Right. And so I literally Sounds rolled like up the window. Simulator to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I rolled up the window, and at one point, I think I rolled it up on you, Bill. I rolled up the window, and I'm like, just hold on a minute. Because at the same time, Chief Covey, Craig Covey, pulled up in Battalion 3, which, mm -hmm. caught me off, you know, which caught me off guard because I'm like, what's Battalion 3 doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, I am on the 405. I'm like, so he came in apparently off of uh, MacArthur and uh, on opposing traffic, and he said, I'll establish um, a medical group supervisor for mm -hmm. you. So that triggered me to say, okay, we must have a lot of casualties, a lot of injuries, because I do see cars. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know what? And at the same time, I have a lot of resources getting on seeing mass casualty. One, of uh, Costa Mesa sent a full response. Ah. And so he was prompting me, where do you want me? And I'm like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know? And um, so then he goes, hey, we have a heavy on scene and, and I'm just trying to process everything. Yeah. So, real, real quick, you didn't ask for any additional no. resources. As no, Bill Costa Mesa, I you didn't ask thought, for any additional resources. No. So, uh, good, good time to discuss. It originally came in as a category standby. <coughs> for that, you're going to get a BC, the crash units, obviously. You're going to get one engine, a medic unit, and a, and a truck company. That's what you'll get responding even before it responds, that's the same response for a CAT-1 response. CAT-2 goes up a little bit in that you get three engines, but uh, uh, it pretty much is the same standard um, um, response that you're going to get. It's the plane that's off-field that originally it got upgraded to uh, for the dispatch, but the same thing. You get one battalion chief, three crash units, um, depending on how far off-field it, it, it is, uh, three engines, you'll get the addition of the foam tender, uh, the heavy rescue, um, you'll get the MCU uh, from Station 51, uh, obviously uh, medic units in there, and then the truck. It's still because, I, and which is pretty close to that category two response with the addition of the MCU, the foam tender, and the heavy rescue. That's really all you're getting added to that. So it, it is a good thing to mention in that uh, unless ECC bumps it up to a Category 3 on their own, which, uh, who knows? Which, which actually I could do. You know, I could get on scene and I can see more carnage there than, 
than what I'm used to handling with, say, a Category 2. And I could say, yeah. give me a Category and, 3 And response. that's why I bring the point up, is okay. that you can make that as the IC, and you, Bill knows it very well because he, he lives it every day, but anybody can bump that up by simply saying that, hey, bump this up to a Cat 3 response, and yeah. now you got six engines coming and two trucks and additional battalion right. chiefs and the division chief and, and all that extra support that you would need so that you don't necessarily have to piecemeal your, your resources as they're coming. Now, we also have to apply to this the moth to the flame, right? You saw the header way out there, and obviously the header was from here. So I got to imagine that every engine in Irvine, Costa Mesa, everybody within sight is self-dispatching to come to this thing. And that makes the good point of that's our job to bring order to that chaos to say, establish that staging point no matter who comes on and uh, whether it's in the radio traffic or ECC knows it there's a lot of people that dispatch self-dispatch to this incident and uh, I don't know if it helped or hurt in those first few minutes there's, but there's pros and cons because you know obviously you're getting a lot of traffic saying I'm on scene and you're trying to look at the our normal mechanism which is you know the CAD saying who I'm supposed to have on scene and I'm like Costa Mesa he goes yeah I have three engines <laughs> right. and a truck just stand by. So I find myself just saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. In the meantime, my window's going up and down on Bill, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Because when Chief Covey said he was establishing the medical, I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. You know, maybe there's a lot more than two patients. Mm. So then he asked for a helicopter. Mm -hmm. So then that put me in a different mentality because he asked for an airship and I thought, Okay, an airship, I'm like, okay, so... Again, those that know it, on a plane (laughs) off-field, automatically should be dispatching a a helicopter. That's part of the dispatch matrix. And he did ask me for uh, mercy, and I'm like, okay, so do you see something I'm not, I can't see, Mm -hmm. because obviously I'm on the other side of the wreckage. And so he asked for an airship, and um, so then I told him, 10-4, 10-4, I'll get you an airship. So I, I relayed that to ECC, and they said there was a 20-minute delay. So I'm thinking in my own mind, well, if you're asking for one airship, it's like ambulances. Mm-hmm. We probably need two. Because mm-hmm. obviously he sees something I don't see. So I must as well get ours responding. So have Mercy and ours respond. But then he immediately came back and said, oh, ECC is asking me, well, where do you want to land them? What's the LZ? And I'm like, honestly... I don't know right now, you know, I'm processing all this stuff. I'm telling people you're not going to be late for work. And so in the meantime, I'm trying to talk to Bill. Well, you so, lied. <laughs> you are going to be late for work. <laughs> so in the meantime, I'm like, uh, you know what? I don't know. Uh, you know what? And luckily, I think somebody was a little proactive. I can't remember which engine it was. Actually said, hey, we'll take care of that. Perfect. Take care of it, take care of it announce it, and do what you need to do and we'll figure this out. But then Chief Covey canceled that request, which canceled, and then I was able to transition and say, hey, Bill. Then the window finally came down. Yeah, the window came down. (laughs) (laughs) The cone of silence. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Bill did a great job. He was smooth. He was just the composure. And, you know, I asked him, I'm like, okay, Bill, is there a fire problem? And he says, no, we have it under control. And he mentioned, like going back to what you, you know, the group was talking about earlier, he said, we foamed it, it's looking good, we need to get back, on, back onto, the, uh, onto the airport. 
And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> why? <laughs> I'm like, okay, can you stay? And he said, yes. He goes, but I got to get the units back. And I said, do what you need to do, but, you know, if I can keep you for your expertise. And so they did. I think I, I turned around and they were gone. I mean, it was like magical. I was like, where'd they go? And no harm, no foul. That's the way it should go. It was and, perfect. And, and everybody listening should also keep in mind that that Crash One unit has water and foam on it and dry chem. So there is some firefighting capabilities that can keep you that if we're worried about it before the foam tender or anybody else shows up, he, he can do something to affect a firefight yeah, right there. We have as well. a, a bumper turret on board that new unit, mm -hmm. and uh, it can do, like I say, we've got 120 gallons of a premixed water foam, so it can knock down a lot of fire, along with 500 pounds of a purple K. And that can all be discharged through that, uh, oh, that, is that uh, right? bumper turret. The same turret yep. mm -hmm. for the purple K. And we also have a hand line, through a hand line. Off the bat. Yeah. Right through the center. No kidding. So a lot of firepower with that. You know, I, I, I've watched video of that, that unit, that type of unit putting out a whole, you know, uh, fire in a, in a pit. Interesting. You know, because it, uh, it definitely can do that. But I, like I was telling CHP, this is maybe what you're trying to allude to. I said, I was telling the CHP officer, you're lucky I didn't dip the, the purple K going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole freeway would have been purple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just the prevailing winds would have covered northbound freeway, too. You know, everybody would have been purple. Crashes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because the CHP officer came up and he goes, who's this guy in the silver suit? It must be hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's my hero right now. <laughs> but uh, um, one thing that, and I think we should reconsider on, the, on our response matrix, is uh, hazmat. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't have the luxury of working with aircraft. I don't have the aviation expertise. Um, I think it was a Costa Mesa captain came up to me because they were stuck in traffic he walked up to me and says hey do you know you have fire in in you know in the um, um, just going down the gutter down the storm drains uh, in the center divider and I'm like no because I was trying to just stay focused and which immediately just you know I was thinking you know what I need to get hazmat responding mm -hmm. because if I do have a um, you know any kind of fuel running down the storm drains that's going to be a problem in itself. Mm -hmm. So I called for hazmat, and then and, I and asked they're Costa good at Mesa. working with all those three-letter agencies that are going to Correct. end up coming out: public health and uh, fish and game. Everybody that comes out later on that is all concerned about that, you can dish it off very quickly because they're they speak the language, they have the contacts in their cell phones, and can make all the notifications. Even if there isn't. A big hazardous material problem there if it's relatively small uh, they can take a lot off your plate as the incident commander uh, by uh, dishing some of that stuff out to them exactly and when they responded and showed up um, that's exactly what I did I says you know what you guys handle whatever logistics need to occur and actually when you showed up Daryl that was a blessing because you took a lot of ancillary just um, just contact collecting information because a lot of suits started I mean, out of nowhere, I have yeah. no idea where these people came from. A lot of suits, uh, even on the CHP side, a lot of non-uniformed officers were coming up, you know, mm -hmm. announcing who they were. And, you know, because they had a major component, which was the, sh you know, which was the 405 being shut down, mm -hmm. you know, at, at major rush hour. So 
you know, I wanted to work with them. That's when I went into Unified Command with CHP, the airport, uh, you know, Caltrans, and anybody that I can possibly mm -hmm. think of who was being represented at, uh, represented at, uh, on scene. So um, at one point or another, here are some of those agencies that you can't expect for an aircraft down. Ultimately, it's going to be the NTSB that has the jurisdictional authority over the investigation, all the evidence that's out there. So once that representative or whoever they've designated as a representative shows up, they're kind of the, the boss in charge as at, at the point. Anything. Right. Can't move anything. It's still uh, their investigation. Um, short of, hey, we still have passengers we need to get to or whatever it may be. So uh, they're the ones that you're looking for early on. And now in this case, because there, um, my guess is because there wasn't a local agent here, they deferred to the FAA who has an office in Long Beach who was able to get here pretty quick to kind of take that over. But you got the CHP as the law enforcement because of the freeway in this instance. You'll have the FBI because until they can determine otherwise, it's a possible terrorist activity and they're going to want to say uh, something about it. So eventually, somebody from Santa Ana's FBI office um, uh, showed up uh, uh, to the whole thing. If it's in the back bay, you'll have the Coast Guard because it is uh, their jurisdiction as far as that goes, or any waterway along the coast right there, you'll have them as, as well. You'll have County Public Health. You'll have uh, Caltrans in this instance because it was on the, on the freeway uh, that went with that. So. Um, and then the FAA, of course, and anybody that comes along with the airport side of it, the county, uh, you could have county supervisors that show up out there. Um, everybody who, who has some kind of, uh, or at least thinks they have some kind of jurisdictional over this, a plane crash, no matter where it's at, you have all of these agencies that are, are going to come out with where you learned as the IC, you got to learn with real quick. And those are probably most of the suits that showed up that you're talking about are, are three-letter three letter agencies that, that come out that all have a stake in it. Uh, you just have to remember what the pecking order is. And as long as there's still a fire and or rescue problem, you're still, it's still us up to that point. Uh, evidence be damned as far as uh, uh, allowing us to, to get that rescue done. But once the rescue's done, the fire problem's taken care of pretty much. Now we have to do as best we can to preserve as much as we can to isolate, identify exactly what the situation is, and then notify those other agencies as they uh, are coming in of, here's what we've done, we've taped this off, we're keeping our folks out until uh, the NTSB can uh, take charge. In a small plane like this, not unusual that they wouldn't come out or they do it by phone or whatever it may be. Uh, when, when you have just the small aircraft that comes down on, uh, uh, wheels up on the uh, field out here with no injuries, it's still, the NTSB is uh, contacted by phone by the operations folks here. They get the details and say, okay, go ahead, you're released to remove the aircraft. But we can't remove the aircraft from the runway even until that NTSB uh, person on the phone says, yeah, uh, go ahead and move it. Obviously a bigger one. We got a 757 that goes down someplace, even Mission Viejo, wherever it may be, where you, you've got a fairly wide uh, incident and investigation scene like that. Um, it will come to that point where NTSB will kick us out and say, unless there's a immediate danger, we need you guys to stick over here. So we should be looking ahead to that uh, where it is also. And then you'll have everybody else that comes in that says, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. 
Let me say it on the record for everybody listening, the NTSB is in charge of that aircraft incident, no matter who else tries to uh, assert their authority uh, to that point. It's simple as a simple matter of law as far as it goes uh, uh, to there. Everybody else can be in the, in the uh, uh, unified command and everybody else can try to get their piece of the pie done to it, which right. is what happened on this incident throughout the entire day. But uh, just remember the pecking order. I think what was interesting is uh, something we, I, I knew and it crossed my mind indirectly that this was a high profile, um, you know, national news. I mean, anytime you have a plane down, especially it's video in today's age, everything's videoed, you know, I, I wanted us to look good. Uh, and not that we're not, but I wanted to make sure we just, because I kid you not, well, as soon as I stepped out of the rig, finally, um, and just kind of transitioned to the rear, I just looked up and there had to be several helicopters in mm -hmm. the media that were just on it immediately. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that we look good, you know, and not that I would do anything different, but it's definitely a different sense that, you know, you just have to think about uh, knowing that you were getting the media attention that you were. Yeah, and they were up there for a while, too. There were several of them, and they were up there for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Throughout the whole day. Yeah. Not even just during the accent part of it. They were out there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Too. Right. Going back to the agencies that you were talking about, I, I tried to capture a bunch of them for you on, the, on your whiteboard back too. there. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> They're here too, and, and it was really surprising. That, and then the biggest one I didn't even see coming. I see a couple of guys, and they've got like a little radar gun looking thing, and it was the gas company. So there's gas lines running right in that area, and they just self-launched, didn't check into the ICP, of course, because it's kind of not what they normally do, but they're looking for leaks sure. you know, on scene of our incident. I never even thought about that. And it made me think, are there power lines underground around here too? Because there's no power poles out there for obvious reasons. So, yeah, the, the amount of agencies that can come to one of these things is, uh, you would imagine it's a lot, but, you know, after having seen it, even just for a small aircraft like that, it's, exactly. it's a legitimate amount of uh, federal agencies, local agencies. And what yeah. was good there, too, also, is uh, it was brought up earlier as far as the evidence that's out there. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of plane parts that are out there, and I saw some good actions as far as identifying, marking, things were happening real quick. So yeah, there was a lot happening on the scene. Yeah. But you know, that's what I'm kind of looking at too for you know, everything I've read as far as accident investigations for aircraft. Preserve the evidence, make sure uh, you know, keep that clear. And if you, if you have to move something, make sure you document it somehow either with a photo or, or somehow you know, write it out what you did, mm -hmm. why you moved it type thing. Yeah, we're, but, we're used to running our own incidents and then sometimes you work with law. And now this one, there's so many people walking around and they all, some have suits, some, or, you know, different levels of clothing and PPE. It's, you don't even know who's who. They're not wearing a, a vest or anything. So you're trying to put it all together. It's just a unique, that's a unique incident, you know, when you have that many outside agencies and sure. they all have a little piece of the pie. So would you say uh, you have any lessons learned? You think there's some things that you really like the way they went or things that you think we could improve on next time? Honestly, I think there's tons of lessons learned and things to think about. Um, I think as far as the actual incident, honestly, I thought it went very well. Yeah. Um, I, I think everyone communicated well. Things were said that needed to be said. Like Bill told me, hey, I need to get the units back on, which was okay. You know, I took his word for the fact that, okay, I feel like I'm losing a vital piece of equipment, but yeah. I get it. I get that component. Um, the... 
you know, once the, the injuries were, were loaded and, and taken to the respective hospitals, you know, that took that initial, you know, um, stress off the, you know, off my plate. So I think it, it in all honesty, I think it went extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as lessons learned, I, I, I talked to my guys after because I had questions. You know, one of them was water supply. Uh, the foam tender showed up. Um, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, are units, are the company commanders thinking about a water supply, maybe off of MacArthur, mm-hmm. across the freeway from the airport? You know, because if this would not have been what it was in a larger, you know, commercial ve- or uh, uh, aircraft, or if I would have had several cars burning, we would have needed water supplies. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the companies actually thought about that, mm-hmm. because the ones that got on scene went straight to the incident and used, for the most part, their tanks. So we talked about, you know, for future reference, we got to think about water supplies. Mm-hmm. You know, where are we going to get them? Because it could be a long lay from mm-hmm. wherever, we're, you know, they're coming from. Uh, the other thing was extrication. If that aircraft, uh, if those people would have been trapped, mm-hmm. I honestly, and within, you know, uh, the, the fuel you know, the existing fuel. I'm not sure I have a plan with, you know, the crash units on how those people would be extricated. We do carry um, extrication tools on the crash units, mm-hmm. um, some portable hearse tools. Battery powered. Battery powered. So, yeah, we're, we're ready to go for anything right like that. So, you would have taken the extrication component. Absolutely. And then, um, so you would have worked in harmony with. And the that's other part units. of our training that we do also, is yeah. as that type of a. You know, training for I would like to add, I apologize to Tony from 76's for blowing up at him. He started squirting water. Mm. If we're using foam, do not use straight water because that upsets our 3% AFFF. And if we foam it, you can generally get in there as long as you don't disturb the foam blanket too much. Yeah. And we did see that where it would come back up. I would just... Hit it. Hit it real quick with foam and then it would be okay, but do not use water. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point is that once you do decide that you've got foam down, remember the idea is to suppress those vapors that are coming off of that. And anything that disturbs that foam blanket is going to be counterproductive to that. So water will do it right off the get-go. Not only do you disturb the blanket, but now you've diluted it. And just walking through it, you need to walk very slowly and and purposefully to allow the hole that you just made in the foam blanket to close behind your step as you're bringing up to the next step and the next step. And and uh, we don't practice that, I think, as a structural fire department so much because right. we don't do it a lot. But we, you know, most people who've gone through our academies went to DelVal or went to Chevron, and they talk about those things. So you got some place in the back of your slide projector there of, hey, I remember this is the way you're supposed to walk. But these guys are more aware of it because they work with the phone more often. But it's it's something to think about that only critical reasons to have to go through that phone blanket. But when you do. Uh, make sure that uh, you're doing it the proper way or else you've just negated the whole reason for putting it down. I feel confident with the the way the rage sprayed the foam that I'd be able to protect the guys because a lot comes out at 235 PSI. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't too concerned with the blanket. It seemed like that was definitely... Yeah, because we didn't have to go into it. Yeah. Um, But for my, you know, there's... 
You know, we do have that one mile perimeter and, you know, I couldn't even tell you what a mile is, you know, but I, I definitely, it's something that our guys need to do is go back because if it does happen in a lee show, you know, um, in Laguna Woods or wherever, you know, off the airport, you have to come up with a plan on how you're going to, you know, how you plan on uh, attacking or, you know, if you have that rescue component, because I can't see how those people were not trapped. Yeah. yeah. You know, right. I, I really don't. I really thought that, I, you know, I would have had to have injected some type of, you know, extrication component to this. Um, those resources are, that's a good point. As pilots, uh, you train all the time when your engine fails, where am I going to put it down? And what looks better uh, amongst the clutter of ground and houses and trees and everything that's down there, but a nice straight freeway. And uh, it's not the best place, but in the panic of I just lost my engine. So this could happen in South County. It could happen in Buena Park. It could happen any place where you have a nice long straight stretch of road right there. And if you do take those cars out, you would have the scenario of what you talked about. I got five burning cars and and an aircraft that uh, hit a pole on the way down to where he was trying to land. And even though it was a small aircraft, it could be a significant scene. And to get those resources of water supply and extrication and anything that may happen, it should be one of our per first priorities as the incident commanders, no doubt about it. Well, with that, let's uh, wrap it up. If anybody has anything else to add, otherwise I'm kind of curious how the thing really ended because I know you, Chief Schultz, came in and took over and closed out the incident. I'm just kind of curious how, where it transitioned from the life safety thing and it was less of a fire department thing and more of the airport and the FAA and how they got the plane out of here. Well, it's like any incident, there's phases to it, right? So we have a working fire. The first priority is to put the fire out, separate it from anybody that needs rescue. And we went through all those same phases that come here. But eventually you're going to get to that phase where you're in, in the investigation, you're in the cleanup. In this case, get the freeway back open. That's yeah. obviously a, a, a big concern for everybody. But as I mentioned before, the NTSB has the final say as to when all that happens and, and their investigation. Uh, CHP at the time wanted to uh, bring in their own wrecker and, and or use us to start moving things and we had to uh, tell them no, NTSB has somebody on uh, um, contract that comes out and does that because all of this has to go to a pre-designated spot. They need to make sure they get the stuff that they need to complete the investigation. So. Uh, only reason I came in was um, I was actually at home. I got off of duty that morning. The phone, which wasn't on me, was buzzing like crazy in the other, uh, 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 wherever it was. And as I looked, I'm seeing all the JWA alerts, which they're pretty good about putting that information out there. And, and being a subscriber, that's where I got the first information of that. So I, I called uh, Division Chief McEwen, and his first word was, yep, get up here. Uh, don't, don't even know what else is going on. But with the traffic, it took me two hours from the time that the incident happened to get all the way up from Oceanside where I live. So I checked in with the staff here at the airport, see what uh, uh, immediate needs they have. I checked in with Chief McEwen and uh, was told, hey, go to the ICP, uh, start that recovery, uh, get back into service kind of stuff. So I made contact with uh, Tony and kind of got, here's what's going on. Uh, Here's where we are. Here's what we need. As I said before, I talked to the hazmat guys right away to try to get a, a better picture of okay, what what kind of uh, of issues do we have beyond just not 
uh, messing up the investigation. And then it was pretty simple. We let most everybody go. Uh, we kept one engine. Um, we stayed out of their way. We actually moved all of our equipment, uh, including the easy ups. We carried those out of the way to get uh, uh, back to let them finish their investigation. Uh, the the um, company that was contracted to finally get the aircraft out of there, uh, they have to disassemble the aircraft. They had to cut, physically cut the wings off. Mm. Uh, they had to take parts of the engine off. And so the decision had been made that, okay, the FAA on behalf of the NTSB was done with what they were doing. Uh, we can start to work with getting the uh, freeway open again. So then it was mostly the CHP uh, officer in charge and I going back and forth to say, here's what I can do to give you the first lane or the second lane. And here's what we're going to do to get it out of the way to where they can finish what they are, need to do. So they put it up on the uh, truck. We had engine 36 uh, escort them to a gore point area off of the freeway that they could do the disassembly in. And that was right there at MacArthur and the on-ramp to the southbound five. And while they were doing that, the freeway was opened up and we spent another two, two three hours while they disassembled this thing. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, I think I mentioned it before, they literally, because of the sparks coming off of their saws, lit the plane back on fire three times. And so it was a good thing that we had the engine there, a line was pulled, we were able to put the fire out right away with just the water from the engine, we didn't need any foam or any of that kind of stuff, uh, the three times that it took them to, to, to get it all. Once they got it on the, on the uh, cart that they had and, and buttoned everything up, they were on the way and we released about 1,900 hours that night. So um, it, it was a long afternoon, a yeah. long day of, uh, of standing out there. But uh, for our part, it was mostly satisfying now all of those three-letter agencies of, hey, um, Caltrans, did you get what you needed? Is there something we can do to help you or support you in getting to a point where you're comfortable in saying that this freeway is safe to put cars on and go? And, um, and even the FBI, I talked to on the phone afterwards because the, the person who had come out had left a card and uh, are you done with your investigation? Are you complete? Um, but it was just a checklist of going through to make sure that everybody was satisfied with what they needed before we could actually move the, move the aircraft. I had returned Crash One uh, back to, in service to there and then told him, be on standby. I'm going to call you back out here when they actually go to move the aircraft in case we do have something that spills out, if there is, uh, if it finds an ignition source, you're going to be the ones that put it out. So when, and I made that agreement with the, the contractor, when they had it uh, all uh, tied up and we're actually getting ready to lift and move the thing, uh, Crash One came back out, was fully suited up, ready to go in case something happened. It didn't, and it was pretty routine from that, that point on out, uh, other than uh, the paperwork. Constant contact with John Wayne Airport, particularly making sure that the PIO got the information that they needed to get out to the public of um, ETAs as to when the freeway would be open, is the airport still open, all of those things that uh, uh, went with that. Um, but again, as the BC, I see pretty routine to the stuff that we do after any incident when the, when the fun, exciting stuff is o are really over. So uh, pretty straightforward, just a long day. Yeah, 10 hour incident. So, unless you guys have anything else to add, I think we could just wrap it up and. Yeah, negative. As far as ARF, it's just getting back on the field. Uh, back on the field. Uh, they were flowing foam out there, so we have to go ahead and discharge, get everything cleaned out of the pipes, and, huh. and then refill up the, uh, the crash rigs. But they're in service that whole time. Okay. But a big part is just getting them back on the airfield, 
getting things back up to par and, and uh, wrap it up. Excellent. Uh, think about that um, for those that are listening and could have this incident happen in your first due Mission Viejo, Dana Point, wherever it may be, not here at the airport. You have the foam tender. A foam tender has a thousand gallons of uh, AR triple F, which is, uh, has a component added to what the foam that they have here at the airport, particularly for polar solvents. So you could use it on an alcohol fire or a polar solvent fire where just the straight AFFF probably wouldn't work as well. It doesn't, uh, because water and the foam mix, mix uh, with, with it. And then they all ha also have uh, JetX high expansion foam. That's not something you would use on a flammable liquids type fire, but if you had a basement fire in Santa Ana, if you had some kind of confined space that you wanted to fill this place up with this high expansion foam to smother fire, you, you have the ability to call for that as a resource and, and do that. And I, I mentioned that uh, just as an educational thing to those that are listening to the podcast is that there are a lot of resources out here, right. um, including the crash crews, you, you know, even if it's uh, your first thought to bring them down a Dana point, but think about some of those other resources that will still keep the airport uh, up and running. Uh, even a phone call to the crash captain can give you some of that advice as well. Uh, just keep that in mind if this incident occurs in your first due area, wherever it is. The foam tender is going to need a water supply though. They do. Correct? Exactly. Okay. Correct. They do not, they, uh, they, they have foam on there, but, that's it. but, but the, the thing about that, and it's same thing happened in this case, they'll respond, one person driving the foam tender, engine 36 comes with them. So you almost always, uh, based on the okay, crew that's, that's on, 500 gallons. We'll, we'll have Would that. a water tender be sufficient? It, yeah, if you're someplace okay. out there uh, where you don't have a good water supply, you're not near a hydrant, uh, call the water tender. That's okay. a consideration. Um, we had a tanker fire this uh, week, and that was also the consideration for the same reason. Uh, you could have the foam tender come out, you could have uh, uh, the water tender come out that could give you a lot of foam uh, for that type of incident on the freeway. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys, for volunteering to do this, and thanks for doing such a good job on the June 30, 2017 airplane down on the 405 incident. I think we'll wrap up the podcast. Until next time, thanks. All right, thanks to everyone who helped out on this podcast. Our next episode will be featuring a panel discussion regarding our cancer awareness and prevention program, which obviously uh, is essential and one of the big things we're focusing in this year to um, really help safeguard our staff. And, uh, but until then, uh, watch out for each other and we'll talk to you guys soon.